The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. God bless you. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to each one of us. We thank you that you are indeed the lover of our souls and the lifter of our heads. We want to thank you, Father, for your protection, for your keeping, for your covering, for your goodness to each one of us, Lord. From day to day, you are good. And we want to thank you. Father, we bless you for who you are. We thank you that you are the mighty one, the everlasting one, the one who is above every other, the name that is above every other name. We glorify and magnify who you are. And we ask humbly, Father, come and make your your presence, your name known in this place. Come and speak into our hearts. Come and open our lives to you. For we need you. And Father, we have set this time apart so that we can meet with you. And to engage with your presence. So Lord, have mercy upon us as a people. And come and open our hearts and our minds to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in this series about God at work. God at work. Last week was a bit shorter, as you know, as we had everybody in together. Uh, This week is slightly different again. And we're going to be looking further into this subject, God at work. Today's title, if we want to have a title, is this. God is at work in you. God is at work in you. I hope that's not a shock for you. I hope that's going to be a delight. And what we want to do this morning is this. We really want to see today that God is at work in our lives. We want to understand that perhaps more so than when we first walked in here. It may not always be obvious, especially when we're going through what we feel are the hardships of life, the challenges of life, things that come at different times upon us. Then sometimes it can feel that is God at work, but God is at work in us. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to look at the life of Joseph to help us as an example to understand that. But first of all, just to set the scene as it were, you know that God created the heavens and the earth, a magnificent creation. It took him six days. And on the seventh day, the Bible says, he rested from all that he had done. So we have this image right at the beginning of the Bible that God does something and then he takes it easy. He has a day off. He has a relax. But there's not the idea that he puts his feet up and has a cup of coffee. He is just having a day and he's giving us a day that we can worship him because he's still at work upholding all that he has made. Uh, In Hebrews, it says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful work. So there's this sense in which God is continually at work, literally holding the universe together. And when you think of that, it helps us because actually the universe is quite big. We're measuring distances in light years. And so God is holding all that together. So even just understanding that helps us to come to a con. Our God is a big God and he is at work. But then there's Jesus, and Jesus, when he is just about to die on the cross, he bends forth his head and he says, it is finished. And again, there's this sense, as Jesus accomplishes salvation, that suddenly that work is done. And so again, we've got this idea, well, Jesus, he's finished. 
But it's not that he has finished. He is on. He finished the work of salvation for every one of us. And he is now at work in our lives, helping us, even praying for us, that we may accomplish all that he desires in this earth. It says in Ephesians 1, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to his purpose, to, in conformity with the purpose of his will. So God is at work. Jesus, who is also God, just in case there's any confusion there, is at work. They are upholding creation. They are keeping our lives. They are helping us. They are guiding us. They are providing for us moment by moment. So it's hardly surprising that Jesus announced this statement to his disciples and those who were around him at the time. He said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So though we have this idea of rest, there is an idea of a concept is that God is always at work and he is with us and he's helping us. And Paul himself picked up on this point and wrote to the Philippians about it. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 read like this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to act according to his good purpose. So Paul is saying, I want you to go and work out your salvation. Paul actually was writing to the Philippians, but he was writing to them from jail. So he's sending this letter to them, them who are far away, to encourage them. Sometimes I've been with you. I'm not with you now, but I want to encourage you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is working in you to act and to will according to his purposes. Salvation, just so, let me, so we all understand this, salvation, he says, work out your salvation. Well, salvation is something that Jesus does. So there's nothing that we can do to gain salvation. However, when we receive salvation, there is a lot that we need to do because we need to walk in Jesus' ways. This is not just a ticket you purchase, I have my ticket of salvation. This is now coming into alignment with God's purposes so that we live according to the way that God wants us to live. So we're literally living out our salvation, if you like. And God wants us to live it out. Let me give you an example. John 13, 35, it says this, By, all, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, God loves us. And his love is manifest in us, and his will, when we become Christians, is that we love others. So there's something that God is doing in us, but there's something that we have to do, that is to work out that salvation by loving others. And that's what God does. He wills in us. He works over us. He encourages us. It's this sort of unseen work that's going on in your heart, almost a prompting. He's encouraging you. He's giving you thoughts. He's giving you that, that sense of, this is what I need to do. But guess who's going to do it? You are. So there comes a point when we can resist doing God's purposes. Simply because, I'm, no, I'm not doing that. We're resisting the work that God is doing in our lives. But God is constantly at work in us, encouraging us, pushing us, challenging us, stirring us, so that we might be involved in his work. 
It's, if you like, it's God empowers us so that we might accomplish his purposes. But we need to respond to that prompting, if you like, with our obedience, with our activity, by actually carrying out the things that he is asking us to do. So God is at work, and God is at work in you, and God is at work in me. God is at work. But secondly, I want to look at this. God is at work, but is that how it feels? God is at work, yes, we've just seen that, but realistically, is that how it feels? And you know, speaking personally, I would say this, many times, no, it doesn't feel like that. To be quite honest with you, it feels like God has gone on holiday. Sometimes it feels like, where are you, God? Do you have any concern for my life? And you know, sometimes when I'm praying, I notice, I listen, as it were, to myself And I'm saying, God, please, will you do this? Please, will you do that? God, we need to have this. We need to have that. God, revive us, change us, make us different. There's a sense in which I'm asking God, come on, you need to be doing something. And when I step back and look, I think, like, this just sounds as though I'm not agreeing with what God's doing right now. I want him to do something different. I don't like what he's doing right now. It's almost like, God, are you at work? Because it doesn't seem to feel like it in my life. Right now, I've got these issues that are coming against me. And you're supposed to be good, but that doesn't look good. So therefore, if it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good, are you doing anything? So there is a real sense that God says he's at work, but there's also a sense within me, and I'm assuming within us as a people, that that's not always how it feels. But it reminds me of what it says in Isaiah Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there's that understanding of like, we think we understand, but actually the understanding of God is that much greater. Let me go back to that example that I said. God created the heavens and the earth, but he is sustaining it. And as soon as we think about the magnitude of the universe, and you understand that God has his arms around that, then you can start to say, okay, God, you're bigger than I am. And just as we think he is bigger than us, so he understands and can see and has more insight than we do of the situations that we are facing in our lives. But what I notice for me is this, when things are not going my way, then I tend to think, God, you don't know what you're doing. And I question, are you really at work? Why do I have this cold this week? Why does it seem so hard to make connection with you? Why don't you seem to do in me what you seem to be doing in others? I've noticed others in the church are being blessed. What about me? I noticed that person had a financial miracle. What about me? Am I the only one who thinks these thoughts? I don't think so. It's just that we need to voice them and to understand what really happens in our minds because we want to understand the truth and to live according to the truth. The truth is established that our God is always at work and he is working in our lives. But the issue is that's not always the way it seems to feel to us. Why do I face hardships and trials? Let alone that, 
It is also, I need to mention, the fact that there is sin in the world. You know, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, it wasn't just the lack of connection with God, but sin came in and sin corrupts the universe. So while we cannot say everything is because God has caused it to happen, because sin causes many things to happen, we can understand that God is at work and he is good even though things are not always good around us. What I certainly see from my own life is that I have a tendency to look for comfort and ease, particularly when things are going difficult. Comfort and ease makes me want to put my feet up. It makes me want to have something that's a little bit warmer. It makes me want to stay under the duvet rather than face the circumstances that may be around me. And as I began thinking about this, I began pondering on some of the lives of the people in the Bible, people like Joseph, Moses, Daniel, just to name but a few. With each of them, they faced hardships in their lives. But at the end of their lives, we can see without any doubt that God was clearly at work. But that's not always how it seemed. And so I thought I just wanted to look at the life of Joseph as an example for us so that we can see how it feels through the eyes of someone who, was God, who God was working in their lives, but to take snapshots of their lives and to see how it looks at various moments so that we can also reflect upon that for ourselves. Now, Joseph, I don't know whether you've read the story of Joseph. If you've never read the story of Joseph, it is in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. And it's an exciting story to read, so let me encourage you to do that. Joseph's dad was Jacob. Jacob was an interesting guy. He had a bit of a bust up with his brother. He got sent off to his uncle, many miles away. Separation sometimes helps out when there's been a bust up. He goes off to his brother Laban, and when he goes to his brother Laban, his brother, sorry, his uncle, his uncle has got a couple of daughters, the younger of whom is far more beautiful than the older. Time and the story, and I won't, I'll have to cut it short because of time. Anyway, he falls in love with the younger daughter, and he agrees to work for his uncle for seven years for her hand in marriage. And you need to read the story so you get the full picture. But let me tell you, on his wedding night, he ended up with the older sister, not the younger sister. Let's just say it was very dark on that night. Otherwise, I can't think how he wouldn't have recognized that fact. But that's another story entirely. So he ends up uh, marrying Leah, and then eventually he is also given Rachel. And they also have two maids. Cut a long story short, there's lots of children that are born. In fact, there are 12, 12 boys, at least 12 boys. There are others as well, but there's uh, other girls, but there's 12 boys. So Joseph, who was one of them, has 11 brothers. And you can imagine the family dynamics because we have the same dad, but we don't have the same mum. And one of those mums is the dearly loved one. And you know what? She couldn't conceive for many, many years. So her older sister had children. And then she gave her, her handmaid to her husband, and he had children with her. And then her sister gave her handmaid. And there's all these people involved. There's four mums, there's 12 children, and there's one dad. Now, I say that because we need to come to an understanding right at the beginning of some of the dynamics of this household. It's a mess. And there's a little bit of infighting. And there is a problem because as time goes on, Dad Jacob, he loves Joseph more than any of the others. Why? Because he is, A, born in his old age, but more specifically, 
He is the son of the, the girl that he really, really loved. It's a special place in his heart. And as the boy grows up, he's a special boy. Well, yeah, the others are fine lads. But there's something special. And the family dynamic gets to the point where dad treats Joseph in a way that he doesn't treat his other sons. Genesis 37, 3 and 4. Now Israel, Israel is the name given to Jacob, so we can put in Jacob. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that his, their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Do you want to live in this family? You get the sense of the dynamics that are going on in this family? It's not good. There's tension. The coat of many colors, as it is known as, this ornamented coat, doesn't say many colors here, ornamented coat given to Joseph. Look, hey, dad loves me. How does that feel? Perhaps in your family, you are somebody, and all of your life you have felt, oh, mum and dad preferred my sister, preferred my brother to me. Well, listen into this story. Because at that moment, you're feeling like some of the brothers felt. This is a realistic situation of what family life can be like. Joseph is growing up. He's still a young man, but he has dreams. Genesis 37.5 says this. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, remember the circumstances. His brothers don't like him. They hated him all the more, it says. Let's stir something up here. He said to them, listen, I had this dream. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and because of what he has said. And then the next couple of verses uh, in the same chapter, it says he has another dream. Then he had another dream and he told his brothers, didn't you get the message the first time? They don't like listening to these stories about your dreams. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We've got the picture of the tension and the rivalry and the angst that there is in this household. How do you think Joseph felt? Was he just carrying on with life? Did he acknowledge at that point that God was at work in his life? Or is life just carrying on? Well, as we know, if you've read the story, the situation didn't get any better. There is a day when Jacob has sent his sons off with his sheep and they are some 50 miles away. So they've gone some distance to graze the sheep. And he says to Joseph, who's still with him, would you go and check up on your brothers? Go and see how they're getting on. Make sure they're all all right. So Joseph is sent off to find his brothers. And he goes to a place called Shechem, which is where they're supposed to be. They're not there. But the local people say, oh, no, no, your brothers have moved on. And they've gone on to another town called Dothan. So they went on to Dothan. And Joseph sees them, so he is approaching them. As he is approaching them, we can break in on what they are saying to each other. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. 
And there's a bit of tension. One of the brothers tries to save him. They put him in this cistern, which is a place where they used to keep water in the desert. So there'd be places where they could water their sheep. He's inside one of those, which is empty. And his brother is hoping to leave him there and come back and save him. But in the course of time, a whole band of Ishmaelites coming along the trade route, which is going along to Egypt, come along. And the brothers decide to sell Joseph into slavery. How do you feel about that? So Joseph is almost like one of those people in the back of that lorry where all those people have just been killed, being sold into slavery. So if you have feelings for them about what they're trying to get away from, what they're trying to get out of, he wasn't trying to get away from anything. He was forced into it. It was forced upon him because he was just sold. And his brothers thought this of him. We'd rather take money for your life than live with you. Is God at work? Now, the story goes on. The Ishmaelites keep him, but they're only keeping him because they can trade him. They want to make money out of him too. So when they get to Egypt, they sell him as a slave, and he gets sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. It just so happens that Potiphar happens to be one of Pharaoh's officials and captain of his guard. Joseph enjoys being a slave. He works at it, and he's given more responsibilities in time in Potiphar's house. After time, Potiphar's wife takes notice of, Jacob, of Joseph. Why not? The Bible itself says Joseph was well-built and handsome. And so she says to him, come to bed with me. Now, as I was reading this through, I, I came across something which interested me. Joseph, uh, Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials, and the language that is used would recognize that he would be a eunuch. Now, I don't know whether you know this, but many times in the Eastern culture, when people came to work for the government, Colin, listen to this, when people came to work for the government, <laughs> they, were, um, they weren't necessarily castrated, well, so they were castrated, they were stopped from being able to have children. And the idea being at that time is the ruler was the one who could pro procreate and keep the line of inheritance of his sons, not anybody else in his government. So there's an authority thing about it. So there is a sense in which uh, Potiphar probably couldn't have any children and his family, and therefore his wife couldn't have any children with her husband. So I just put that in because it puts a little bit of like, oh, maybe that's why she's after Joseph. Maybe she wanted to have children with him. Maybe. But whatever, he's a good-looking guy, and she's chasing him. And she is saying to him, come to bed with me. And this wasn't a one-day situation. Joseph says, like, how can I do that? Your husband has given me authority over everything in his household except for you because you are his wife. How can I do any justice to him? How can I sin before God? Now, that's an interesting thing. How he's holding the position of God in his life. So much so that he recognizes, if I do this, I'm sinning. Do we think about that when we sin? Hey, I can't do that because it offends God. Or do sometimes we just go ahead and do what we want? I look at my life and I think, you know, sometimes I just go ahead and do what I want. It seems that Joseph has got an understanding of God. And he's holding God in a high position. This woman doesn't give up. She does not give up. It says day after day, she was saying. Hey, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Joseph keeps on refusing, but there is that time when she grabs his jacket and the only way he can get out is to run out and he leaves his jacket in her hand. 
And when her husband comes home, Potiphar's wife says, hey, look what Joseph did. He tried to rape me. I've got the proof. He left his jacket. Now Joseph is put in jail. Potiphar was captain of the guard. He would have known how to put people in jail. He would have made sure that Joseph wasn't going to get out. He would have made sure that his punishment, as far as Potiphar was concerned, suited the crime which was being laid against him. However, Joseph was innocent of the crime. I just want to ask you, how does Joseph feel now? I have been sold into slavery. I have suffered rejection from my family. I have now been accused of something which I never did. Now, you know, it's one thing to be accused of something if you did it. It's something to be caught. I got caught, governor, okay. But when you've not done it, that's injustice. And believe you me, injustice sticks with us. Why? Because it was unjust. So when something's happened to us, and it wasn't our fault, and it was outside of our control, those things are so difficult to forgive. Why? Because it was never your fault. You never did anything. You happened to be there, but somebody has abused you. Somebody has, mis- you know, has used all sorts of circumstances and falsely accused you. You're the one ending up with the rap, but it wasn't you. It's difficult to forgive. It's very difficult to forgive. And Joseph is now in jail, and he is facing all of those situations. Do you think... He felt like God is at work in my life? I don't think so. First it's his brothers, then it's Potiphar's wife. God, it seems so unfair. Can it be true when I hear that you are good? Because the Bible says God is good. And it says it in more than one place. It doesn't seem like God is good when such things are happening. If it's me, I would be thinking this. I'd be angry inside. I'm trying to work it out. You know how you try to work things out? You go through things over and over again because you're trying to understand something. You're trying to sort it out. I'm sure that that was going on. Maybe he was moaning against God. I don't know. He had reverence for God. We understand that. But of course, the story doesn't end here. It goes on. As he's in jail... There are two people who come from Pharaoh's household, and they also are sent to jail. The Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker. And both of them have dreams. And they're obviously interacting with Joseph, and they say to Joseph, well, they're talking about the fact that they've had dreams, and Joseph says, I can interpret dreams. Tell me your dream. So the cupbearer goes off, and he starts telling him his dream. And he starts to explain it. Let's read it. Genesis 40, verses 9 to 13. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. Wow. So Joseph says, this is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Joseph will, uh, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Well, you can imagine what the baker thought. Well, this is great. This is great. Hey, I've got a dream. Let me tell you my dream. So now the baker goes on to explain what his dream was. The only thing is 
that it turns out the interpretation for the baker's dream was that in three days he was actually going to be hung up and killed and wouldn't be going back. So it's like, oh, that's not so good. But hey, these are only interpretations and they might not come to pass. But three days later, exactly what Joseph said came to pass. And Joseph had said to the cupbearer, hey, I'm here because of injustice. I'm here because of these situations. He probably told him his story. When you get before Pharaoh, let him know this because it's unfair that I am in this place. So please let him know this. Certainly, the baker is taken off and is executed. The cupbearer is taken back to the palace. Hey. But the Bible says two years went by. Now, I want to know what it felt like on the day after the dreams had come to their fulfillment. Was there hope? There was hope. But the week after, that hope begins to diminish. Hey, it's only a week. He may not have had time to talk to Pharaoh on my behalf. A month goes by. Two months. Three months. Is this ever going to happen? Is this ever going to end? And I want to put ourselves in this position because we want to understand what Joseph's life was like. We want to understand what he was going through. We want to get some sort of mindset. We know the end of the story, but forget the end of the story for a moment. Come back to the point where you are Joseph, where you are in this situation, where injustice has come against you, where family squabblings have come against you, when difficulties at work have come against you, when you've given somebody some information and they still let you down. Hopes of others are not being realized in your life. It hasn't happened. That's where I want to bring us to. Because what we're saying this morning is this truth. God is at work in your life. He's at work to fulfill his purposes. But you see, this is why we come back to the statement that I made. You know what? It doesn't feel like it to me. Do you think it felt like it to Joseph? I don't think it felt like it to Joseph. You know, because you know the end of the story, it's going to be all right, Joseph. It's going to be all right because we know the end of the story. That, you know the end of your life story? No, we don't. But I know a man who does. Because he knows the end from the beginning. You see, God is like, jo- uh, like we are right now with Joseph. He knows the end of our lives. And he's known that from the beginning. Because he has plans and purposes for us. Which he is working out in our lives. He is at work in us. to to enable his will, his purposes to be fulfilled in our lives. What we need to do is, yeah, we've got to work out our salvation. We've got to live out our salvation. We've got to work with God. But he is at work in us to accomplish his purposes. And he can see our lives from the end and at the beginning and where we are right now. But when we go to Joseph, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. Is God really good? Can I really say God is good? Because I'm in a jail. I'm a long way from home. Nothing seems to be working out as I would want it to work out. But that's not true. Jesus said, my father is always at his work and to this very day, and I am working too. And God is at work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, obviously, as we read the story on, there does come a time just over two years later when Pharaoh himself has a dream. And he tells it to people and they can't interpret it. And his cupbearer gets to hear about it and he says, whoa, that reminds me. When I was in jail, 
I had a dream interpreted that came true. That guy, is he there? Let's send to the jail. Now that moment is the day of rapid change for Joseph. He goes from jail to standing before Pharaoh. He has to have a wash and a brush up. He has to get sorted out. But suddenly he's gone from jail to standing in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks him the interpretation of his dreams. And these are the dreams that, uh, and sorry, I can't go through all that. And the dreams that, Joseph, uh, that Pharaoh had was about famine coming to the land uh, of Egypt. In fact, that was the interpretation that Joseph gave. He said to him, it's, what is happening is there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of, of famine. And what I suggest is that you organize things so in the seven years of plenty, you store up enough so that the nation of Egypt will have plenty to provide in the seven years of famine. And they said, well, who better to do this than you? And so suddenly, that day, coming from jail, Joseph is now second in command of the nation of Egypt. And it's a powerful nation. It's the most powerful nation on earth at that time. But that's not the end of the story. The story goes on because there are seven years of plenty. And there is an abundance in the harvest. And Joseph does organize the collecting together of the grain. So that when they go into the time of famine, the peoples around them, and one set of people is Jacob and his brothers away in Israel who are suffering from the lack of food. And they say, hey, we hear this food in Egypt. And so Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to go and get food. They come. They come before Joseph. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Various interactions, and you need to read the story fully to understand this. They come, they get food, they go home. On the way home, they find their money's back in the sack. Ooh, we're a bit scared. What's going on here? Then they go back and they tell their dad. Anyway, eventually they have to go and get a second lot of food. And they go the second time, and they're called in front of Joseph again. And they're scared because they've got to give account of the money that's been in their bags and all this sort of stuff. But on the second time... They're standing before Joseph. And he makes himself known to his brothers. And he says, I am Joseph. Now you can imagine that. What? We've come here to get food. We've had all these problems and stuff about getting the food. And there's been one of our brothers in jail because of it. And all sorts of stuff. And you're asking us to bring our younger brother with us. A whole raft of stuff. But Joseph has got them right in front of him. He's got them where he wants them. And now he can tell them exactly how bad his life has been and the things that they have put him through. He can remind them about all the things of the family. He can remind them about how he's been sold into slavery. He can remind them about the injustice that he's received and how he went to jail. He can remind them how he's been years in jail because of them. Yes, there was a day when I was released, but this is what you put me through. But none of that was said. None of that was said. Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 45 verses 4 and 8. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant, to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save, life, to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Can you hear that? So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Who was at work throughout all of that time? God was. So I'm thinking about this story in the light of all the complaints that I can raise to God of why he's not doing this, why he's not doing that. Have you thought about this? Did you understand that? But when you look at this story, you say, who are we to make any comment? The only thing is we don't know the end from the beginning. But there is one who does. What we know is the journey that we're going through. And when we stop and look at the journey of Joseph, there are trials, there are hardships, there is anguish, there is pain, there is suffering. But he was able to say, hey. And he's not holding anything in his heart because you would have felt that. He's saying, listen, guys, don't be, don't be upset. Don't be upset that you sold me into slavery. He brings it out into the open, but he doesn't bring it out to hit them over the head with it. He just brings it out to say, listen, guys, everything, everything, everything is forgotten. Everything is forgiven because the reason I am here is to save lives, and God has appointed that. What has God appointed in your life? Oh, I don't know. I'm going through hardships. I'm going through trials. What am I supposed to do? I tell you exactly what we're supposed to do. We give praise to him because we don't know the end from the beginning. We give worship. What, in the midst of what I am going through? Yes, in the midst of everything that we're going through. We lift up our worship before him because he is the mighty one. Because he is the one who is above every other. Because he is the one who can cause you to become the second in command of a great nation overnight like that. The thing I don't know is how much work did God have to do on Joseph's life to get him in the place where he needed him to be? Well, the answer is, look at the story. He had to take him through injustice. He had to take him through slavery. He had to take him through rejection. He had to take him through family squabbles. Why? Because he was using everything for his good purposes in his life. Genuinely, I look at this story and I think, God, I've got to start worshipping you. I've got to get things in perspective. Because life gets hold of me and life's perspective pushes me down. God, are you really at work? Do you know what you're doing? And I find that in myself. There's this sense of, God, do you know what you're doing? How arrogant is that? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what he is doing because he is working his purposes out in conformity with his will. It's not like, oh, I don't know what's happening today. Gosh, you know, I, I had planned yesterday, but I forgot completely about Jonathan today. Oh, my goodness. And then I would just give him a day off or, you know, it's just be an odd day. It's not like that. God loves us. Our, our problem is we can't understand how much he loves us. And, and also our minds kick in so that we think, like, how can you love me because I'm going through this hardship? I love you enough to know that I've got to change you. I love you enough because I know the purposes I have for you. I love you enough because I'm going to use you. And I need you to go through this. Because I'm going to help you and bring you out the other side. And you know what? Even as I look out over this room, I know there are stories here where people could come up and give testimony to say, I've seen that in one small respect in my life. Because I remember this circumstance and God brought me through. 
Many of you are going through trials right now and you think like, this is just a headache to me. I want to encourage you. God is at work. He has never stopped working. He is working today. He hasn't got his feet up. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's not on holiday. He is working everything out in conformity to his will and purpose for your life. That is what he's doing. And when you look at it, you think like, well, Joseph, oh, Joseph. No, no, no. You stop and think there are other men in the Bible. Other women in the Bible for whom things have turned around in their lives. Abraham, Moses, Daniel, Jesus. In fact, everybody is being looked after by God because he has plans and purposes for them. And he is bringing them through. The only thing that can happen is if we want to resist him. If we want to say no. We need to work out our salvation. That is, we need to live out our salvation. The salvation that we have been given, that we have been called by God for his purpose, we need to surrender ourselves to him and say, God, okay, have it your way. I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop complaining in you. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop saying, I'm demanding this is how it needs to be. I want to do it this way. I want it my way. We need to actually surrender and accept the fact that God is at work. And this is what I wrote down, and I like this, so I'll tell it to you. There is a decision to be made. I know what would seem to be normal thinking. In other words, I can easily go into normal thinking. Well, why is this happening? What is that happening? I need to change, and I need to go to renewed thinking. And renewed thinking says, hey, despite what I'm experiencing, I'm trusting that God is at work. That's renewed thinking. And renewed thinking means that normal thinking, which comes so easily to us because we switch on the panic button, because that's what we're used to. So we worry, so we're coming through in our minds and everything's whirring around like this. We have to say, stop, I need to renew my mind because that's what we've been told to do. Renewing our minds and saying, Lord, today it's tough for me. I don't know what's going on. I don't like what's going on around me. But I declare to every principality and power, I declare to anybody who's listening, you are in charge and you are over my life and you are at work in my life and you will work out your purposes because you have called me. I didn't choose you. You chose me and you have appointed me to be a fruit bearer for you. And I want to bear fruit for you. So the circumstances that you're facing... Hey, listen to this scripture that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. He says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's fix our eyes on those things. Let's remember that Jesus is coming again. Let's remind ourselves that he's coming to rescue us from this world, to take us out of this sin-stained environment, and to take us to be with him forever. Let's remember our end destiny. And even though we're going through trials and hardships now of many types, 
Let's just worship him because we need to look at the lives of those that have gone before us. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about that cloud of witnesses. Those who have gone before. Those who have experienced the walk. And they're saying to you, and they're saying to me, hey, come on. Keep pressing forward. Keep going forward. Because there is a prize that you are being called to. The high calling of God and fulfilling the purposes of your lives. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.